0: Uh, So this is the second in a four-part series thinking about friendship. Uh, Eugene Peterson says the heart of the Christian message is friendship, friendship with God, friendship with one another. And so a couple of weeks ago, Carla Harding talked about how we grow in our friendship with God. Uh, Next week, we're going to think about when friendships go wrong. And the week after that, how we grow just in our friendships with one another. We want to Have better, deeper friendships. As someone once said, at the end of your life, they won't ask what you've done, they will ask how well you have loved and been loved. And uh, today we are thinking about friendship with ourselves, which, if you think about it, is kind of the key to all the others. Because, of course, if you are friends with yourself, then that affects your relationship with God and with others. And conversely, Uh, If you are in a good place with God and with others, that's going to help your own uh, space with yourself. Now, we're not going to be talking together about some kind of narcissism or uh, egotism or self-adoration, you know, I'm just so worth it, or any of that. Uh, There's there's too many people already trying to use the Bible to justify what is purely a rather shallow and pointless cultural uh, prejudice around sort of bigging ourselves up. Uh, But what we are going to think about is how do we become, as those who are loved by Jesus, called by Jesus, saved by Jesus, more comfortable in our own uh, skin. The the, the fact is that when people are like that, they are more likable. When someone sort of, not in an arrogant way, but likes themselves, feels comfortable in their own company, they become more likable. And on the other hand, when people struggle, to like themselves when there's kind of a civil war uh, going, raging in there, inside themselves the whole time, um, this um, sort of vicious circle gets set up where often people who don't like themselves end up making themselves unlikable and pushing other people away. And so uh, we live in a culture which uh, is plagued by self-loathing. This is true for men and for women, the statistics are consistent. Amongst women, of course, one of the markers of that is uh, self-harm, it's only one of them, and this also affects men, but the statistics all show it's more prevalent amongst women. Uh, Amongst teenage girls, 11.2% of teenage girls uh, will have self-harmed in the last year. But uh, amongst men, and again, forgive the stereotyping, uh, but uh, just a drivenness, to, to, you know, sort of workaholism, just constantly got to sort of prove ourselves. And it's a form of not being able to just be comfortable with ourselves as we are. In fact, there was a survey uh, that came out recently that said two and a half million men in this country would say they don't have a close friendship. Just a, a plague of loneliness. These are people who have acquaintances and colleagues, but no close friendships. And uh, so, you know, often, and I see this sometimes in myself, I see this in uh, Christians in general, we can be incredibly gracious and forgiving and generous with other people and yet massively harsh and judgmental and ungracious towards ourselves. Some of us here If we treated ourselves the way we treated other people, we would walk an inch taller. So how can we, as followers of Jesus, become our own best friends? Let's look together at Matthew chapter 11. We're going to look at verses 28 to 30, and it's uh, in both the NIV and the message version we're going to read. So first of all, in the uh, NIV translation, Jesus says this, Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy uh, and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And then, in the rather wonderful uh, message version, Jesus says, Are you tired? Hands up. (laughs) Some of you are like, I can't even get my hand up, mate. (laughs) Are you tired? Worn out? Burned out on religion? Come to me. Get away with me. You'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. Sounds pretty good, doesn't it? Don't you think? Jesus invites us to come to him to recover our lives, to take a real rest, to get free from the things in our lives that are heavy or don't fit right. God's will for your life is not just that it would be endurable, doesn't grumble, <laughs> making do, but that it would be enjoyable. He actually said, the whole purpose of my teaching is that my joy might be in you. And Jesus really modelled this, you know. He practised what he preached. It's fascinating to me that, you know, he probably died at the age of 33. Okay, that's the general consensus. Of those 33 years, Jesus spent the first 30. Unbelievably, just making tables. <laughs> He's got to save the planet, and he spends 30 out of 33 years doing carpentry. And he might not have been very good at it, because, you know, you don't get them on the Antiques Roadshow going, oh, it's a marvellous original Messiah piece there, you know. And then after 30 years, and by the way, this is at a time where people often died around 45, so this is probably like being 50. This is a little word for any of you feeling very middle-aged today. At around 30, Jesus goes, is that the time? I'd better get busy. I'm meant to be saving the planet. Brilliant as my carpentry is. And so he's got three years to save the world. And yet, he still finds time for picnics and going to parties and walks in the woods. And that's extraordinary to me because that means that Jesus was less busy and more fun than many Christian leaders. He had the unforced rhythms of grace around him even though his time and mission was more important than anyone else's. And he says, come to me, I'll teach you, I'll teach you. I'll show you how to do this. No matter how important your job is, the process of parenthood, the things you're struggling with, he has grace for you. And so I just want to make two simple points. We're going to pray for some people. <coughs> and that, the first one is about grace. Jesus says, come to me. Don't beat yourself up. Don't, don't think, well, I'm not worthy or I'm too messed up. He says, come to me. I know you're in a mess. That's why you need to come to me. Don't say, I'm not coming to Jesus until I've sorted my life out, because you'll never make it to Jesus. Whilst you were still a sinner, he died for you. He didn't say, well, if you can just save yourself, I'll come and die for you. He said, you're in a mess. I'm going to have to rescue you. Why? That is the heart of a father. If my kids come to me covered in mess and bleeding because they've fallen over in the street, I don't say, well, if you just sort yourselves out, I'll give you a hug. So I'm a great dad and I'm very loving. I pick them up. I get dirty with their dirt. I clean them off. Why? That is the heart of a mother or a father. Jesus says, come to me. I know, I know, I know, I know what you're thinking, I know what you're feeling. come to me, it's grace. It is in Christ's presence that we recover our lives. There's a lovely story that um, Mike Pilavacci tells, so it may even be true. And uh, it, it's, um, he says that he heard a, a story on Radio 1, a, a guy who, from North Devon who had um, been on a gap year, he uh, was being interviewed, and he'd gone to Indonesia, and he'd gone to a remote and quite primitive Indonesian island. And on this island, it was uh, traditional to pay a dowry for your bride. And uh, there was quite a sort of well-developed sort of, um, uh, sort of market, really, market value. Now, I'm really sorry if this is uh, a, a sexist, but um, if, if, if you tell me this is sexist, then firstly, blame might put it actually, and secondly, um, blame an entire tribe in Indonesia, but don't blame me. I'm just—I'm merely the messenger. Okay? They—they—they they, they had this system whereby, if—if uh, if a woman was sort of average, you'd pay about two cows for her. Some of you look like really angry at this point. I'm just telling you. If she sort of had bits dropping off her, you might pay one cow for her. If she was like the most stunning thing you have ever seen then the most anyone had ever paid for a wife was five cows. And uh, when this guy from North Devon ended up on this island, um, the the great joke amongst the sort of tribe was that there was a guy who just paid five cows for a frankly average woman. And so everyone was joking about this and chatting about it. And uh, The student found the guy and got talking to him. He said, do you know the whole island? They're all laughing about you because you paid way over the odds for your wife. And This is what the guy said He said I paid for my wife what I wanted to pay for her. I paid what I think she is worth And now when my wife walks through the village, she walks through the village as a five cow woman <laughs> She talks As a five-cow woman, I myself am married to a five-cow woman. Indeed I am, there she is. Very very important you look at the right woman at these moments. Um, We struggle, so many of us, because we don't really know our value. What we're really worth. And so we value ourselves by... Silly things like money or like uh, human approval. You know, just killing ourselves, trying to please other people all the time. You just can't. Or by our looks, which we know are fading. Our achievements. And into this vortex, God steps and says, there is no one that values you more than I do. And he proves it by sending his own son and saying this is what you're worth the life of my own son don't you dare look down on yourself when i your creator value you this highly romans 8:32 he who did not spare his own son how will he not also give us all things. And so we have to decide whether we are going to drive our value from uh, temporal, shifting feelings, circumstances. Or whether we're going to derive our sense of value and worth from the objective reality, the facts of what God says. Maybe you're here this morning feeling guilty and ashamed. God says in His Word, two Corinthians five verse seventeen, "You are a new creation; the old has gone." Maybe you're here feeling like a failure. God says, "You are more than a conqueror in Christ Jesus," Romans eight thirty-seven. Maybe you feel very unlovely or unlovable uh, today. The Bible says nothing in all creation will be able to separate you from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, your Lord. Maybe you feel overwhelmed by circumstances this morning. Philippians 4, 13 says, you can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. Maybe you feel forgotten and bypassed. Jesus comes and says, John 15, verse 16, you didn't choose me. I chose you. And I've appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last, and so that whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. It is so important that we build our communities, our relationships, our cultures in our home, our families, our workplaces, our church, around the facts of how God perceives us and not just whatever the value system is at work uh, in the world around how we kind of rate people. What does that mean? Well, it means, for example, those of us who are parents. Of course, there are times we have to tick our kids off. But it's unbelievably important, as we all know, that they grow up in an environment that is primarily and overwhelmingly affirming. Perhaps today, that's something that we just need to redress a little bit. We've been reacting to our kids instead of initiating out of grace and love. Perhaps uh, it's about the way we view one another. I, I have a, um, a friend called Ruth uh, whose parents are just some of the most lovely, godly <coughs> excuse me, people I've ever seen. They're an old Missionary couple called Martin and Elizabeth Goldsmith, and they're sort of people just always—they're just always kind and always nice. And um, I, I always remember um, Ruth, who—who's now a terribly respectable, um, quite well-known woman. When she was a teenager, she um, went through a major goth phase, and um, you know she's a beautiful girl, but she she decided to to you know fully kind of goth out. And she came down one uh, day to go out for the evening wearing big black DMs, black tights, a very short black skirt, a black shirt, a black leather jacket, her hair dyed black all crimped and spiked out, her face whited out, black uh, lipstick, black makeup, and just a tiny touch. The only color anywhere on her body was a tiny bit of purple eyeshadow. And so she comes down and says, it's not what every mother has dreamt for their little girl, you know. And uh, Ruth comes downstairs looking like this, and her mum takes one look at her and says, Oh, Ruth, do you know purple does suit you? <laughs> <laughs> Someone who's learned to affirm and to build up and not to pull down and criticize. Here's an interesting one. There has to be the scope within our community for men uh, to affirm women without it being flirtatious, to speak well, to encourage and affirm. We're going to have to deal with gossip. And of course, no one ever says, I'm about to gossip. It's always kind of justified, the even just for your prayers (laughs) line. Because we don't want cultures that pull people down, but that build people up. There's a very simple principle that Jesus gives us in Matthew chapter 18. He says, look, if you've got a problem with someone, go and talk to them about it. And then if they don't listen to you, put in a third party. And we really believe that and we try to do that. We put one rider on it, which is the Apostle Peter says, love covers over a multitude of sins. So before you go and confront someone, ask whether you shouldn't just extend them a bit more grace. But if for some reason you've got to confront some issue, it's not just the person's vaguely annoying, but actually there's something that actually could be quite damaging if they keep behaving or speaking the way they are. So you feel I've got to say something, go and talk to them about it, but do it kindly and lovingly, graciously, not questioning their heart, but just maybe the way they're interpreting their heart. You say, well, that's obvious, Pete, but I tell you what, it's not obvious, because you wouldn't believe how many times people come to me and say, right, you're the leader of this church. I just want to tell you something I've got a bit of a problem with. And could you please sort it out? They said this. They did this. And I was like, what do you want me to do about it? Have you told them? And they're like, no. That's why I put money in the offering, for you to do it. <laughs> I say, do well, you don't put enough money in the offering for me to do that? <laughs> Bill can do it. No. <laughs> Jesus says, that's not how you do it. Go talk to them. If you've really got to. If it's the most loving thing to do, go challenge them. And if that doesn't work, put in a third party who can then sit down and mediate and try and work out what's going on. Let's create a culture of affirmation in which people can flourish knowing their value in Christ. Friends with themselves and not civil wars walking around in human bodies. But secondly, uh, we see in this passage that Jesus addresses very specifically not just the grace come to me, but the pace of life walk with me work with me learn the unforced rhythms of grace there is a challenge if we're going to build friendship with ourselves that we need to spend time with ourselves you know you can't spend, you can't build a friendship with someone else unless you spend time with them right you can't build your friendship with god unless you spend time with you've got to spend time with yourself you say well that's ridiculous i spend all my time with myself but do you really so many of us spend so much of our lives avoiding ourselves I know, because I've got a dog, and when you go and walk your dog, in the old days, everyone was sort of wandering around on their own, but no one's on their uh, they've all got their phones out, they're all listening to stuff, I catch myself, people, on the commute, on the train, suddenly it's, I've got something to do, we're constantly hiding from solitude and silence and stillness and ourselves. I wonder what we're hiding from. I, I had a friend on Facebook who was just so annoying, I unfriended him. Ha! No one here. A couple of you come close, but no. I mean, he was, he was posting the most outrageous, prejudiced, annoying, horrible things, everything. He was quivering and wanting to respond, because that's what he wanted, probably. So it's, oh, it's easier, it's too annoying, just, uh, block him. Problem solved. He lives in another country, so there you go, no problem. <laughs> it's amazing how many of us are desperately trying to unfriend ourselves. Because we find ourselves so annoying, frustrating, disappointing. Rather than forgiving ourselves, it's easier just to unfriend ourselves. Avoid being alone at all costs. Coffee in the morning, a whiskey at night. Busy, busy, busy. Social media 24-7. Never let me be with myself. Jesus says, walk with me, work with me. Find my pace and my rhythm. Blaise Pascal said, all of humanity's problems stem from man's inability to sit quietly in a room alone. Can I invite you? to sit quietly in a room with God this week in the prayer room? Especially if that feels like a scary prospect. Are we leaving slack in our lives for interruption? Are we maintaining reserves? You don't drive your tank of petrol continually on almost empty. There are times where you almost run out, but you need to be aware of that and need to prioritize filling back up. Are you prioritizing retreat, some little space each day for the Lord, the Sabbath principle, some weekly retreat, annual retreats, holidays, time with people who help us to be our better selves. I caught myself of this um, a little while ago, I'm just going to be completely honest with you, okay, and then... and. Um, then for reasons that become clear, we're going to pray for some people to deflect my own embarrassment. Um, I, 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 a few things happened. First of all, I was out walking the dog, and a man on a mountain bike yelled at me. Um, the dog had pooped, and for, he thought I wasn't going to clear it I was. I was just trying to find the bag. Couldn't find the bag quick enough for this. And he just he annoyed me, you know, and he's shouting at me. And... And I'd like to say I was just like Jesus and went and smiled sweetly, sang him the hallelujah chorus and led him to the Lord. But I just yelled back at him. And then immediately thought, I hope none of you lot have seen this. (laughs) (laughs) Like, and then then I had this inner dialogue. The guy cycles off. Oh, God, so sorry. And I said, but actually, God, I don't know if I am sorry because we shouldn't be doormats as Christians. (laughs) Jesus saying, yeah, that worked really well on the cross, you know. And then the the day progresses, so I'm feeling this background guilt, beating myself up. And uh, i go to home base. Need I say more? <laughs> and I, I I chose a little piece of um, timber I needed, just you know, way out of the back, the, the timber. And I brought it down, and the stup- I queued up, and this stupid bit of timber didn't have the, the barcode on it, and the, the delightful lady um, said, don't worry, I'm just going to call my manager, manager will come over, manager will go and find the piece, right length and shape and piece of wood and bring it back. And I said, don't worry about that, I'll just pop back, I know exactly what it is, where it is, it'll take me 90 seconds. She said, no, no, we'll do it like this. The manager took several minutes to come, the queue was getting longer, eventually the manager... Um, I don't quite understand it, but I had to look up this thing on a screen, write down the barcode numerically, then go back and find it, and then bring the thing back. I timed it. It took nine minutes. The whole thing took nine minutes, people. Nine minutes! My life! Gone! Just gone! What price do you put on that nine minutes? Seven ninety-nine, if you really want to know. Now, I wasn't nasty to this woman... But she really, really knew that I was annoyed. And the thing is, I had one of our kids with me. He came out and said, you weren't very nice to her, Dad. Oh, Christian, shouldn't be doormats. <coughs> <laughs> and then a little bit later, we got a spam call just we're were sitting down for supper. And I definitely wasn't polite to them. And then my son played his ace card. He said, I hope none of these people read any of your books, Dad. <laughs> ah! Wow <laughs> Ooh! And I realize it's not really about that. It's just about it's not about leadership, it's just about being like Jesus and knowing Jesus. So then I get with God and I do my thing. We've all been through similar stuff, and I'm there beating myself. Up. I'm, I'm so sorry, I'm a miserable worm. I failed you again. I'm horrible. I, I just, I dislike myself, God. Have I disliked myself enough yet for you to now accept me? Is that how it works? You know, what hurdle do I have to go to? I'm sorry, how can I change? I, I, will, I will go and, and take uh, the, 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 the barcode offward at home base just so I can spend more time with that woman. What do I need to do? You know, I'm going through all this stuff. Oh, and God said the most surprising thing. He said to me this, be excessively gentle with yourself. The line from a poem, be excessively gentle with yourself. Be your own best friend, Pete. Lighten up. Beating yourself up right now will compound the problem and not make it better. The answer to harshness in your life is not to be harsh on yourself. Find grace for yourself, because I have grace for you, son. Be gentle with your inner bully. Be patient with your impatience, and my grace will flow. See, sometimes... The call of Christ isn't just to sort of get things right and when we get them wrong, repent. It's to learn to walk in friendship with ourselves because of the grace of God. You understand? And so I'm going to read you in just a second that poem that so spoke to me at that moment. But first, let me finish with this. John Steinbeck in East of Eden. He says this of boys. Talked about five cow women, but hear this about boys. As a few strokes on the nose will make a puppy head shy, so a few rebuffs will make a boy shy all over. But whereas a puppy will cringe away or roll on its back, groveling, a little boy may cover his shyness with nonchalance, with bravado, or with secrecy. And once the boy has suffered rejection, he will find rejection even where it does not exist or worse will draw it forth from people simply by expecting it we live in a world where children are rejected men and women reject each other the culture rejects those who don't look right or who don't succeed enough, or who don't work hard enough? When did anyone last say to you when you said, how are you, oh, I haven't got much to do with my life? Everyone's busy, busy, busy. The value systems to which we cannot maintain the standard. And so we get rejected, and we end up rejecting others. Maybe you've been pushing people away because you are not at peace with yourself. The antidote to self rejection is Christ's acceptance. So I'd love just to get the band back, please. I want to read you this poem. We're going to pray for one or two people. There's a number of things I've thrown out that you might appreciate prayer for today. <clears throat> I've talked about self harm, about people working so hard that they're suffering. I felt like God spoke to me about someone, it's quite specific, but you actually literally have been struggling to look in the mirror. No one knows, but you can avoid in looking at yourself in the mirror. Maybe there's a particular challenge to some people just to spend time in solitude. This week. Maybe you know that you're driven by an unhealthy need for human approval and affirmation. Maybe you've been pushing people away. Maybe you need to forgive yourself. Maybe you feel guilty when you enjoy life. You feel guilty about pleasure. That's quite common amongst Christians, funnily enough. Maybe there's a challenge around your relationship with a partner or things that you've been saying to your children. Or maybe you're just here feeling exhausted, needing a change of pace, needing to find the unforced rhythms of grace and to be excessively gentle with yourself. So kind of the whole point of this is just relax. I want to read you this beautiful poem. It's from the Irish priest, John O'Donohue, And it's entitled, A Blessing for One Who is Exhausted. And so, if that's you, receive this blessing in the form of this lovely poem. Here we go. When the rhythm of the heart becomes hectic, Time takes on the strain until it breaks. Then all the unattended stress falls in on the mind like an endless increasing weight. The light in the mind becomes dim. Things that you could take in your stride before now become laborsome events of will. Weariness invades your spirit. Gravity begins to fall inside you, dragging down every bone. The tide that you never valued has gone out, and you are marooned on unsure ground. Something within you has closed down, and you cannot push yourself back to life. You've been forced to enter empty time. The desire that drove you has relinquished. There is nothing else to do now but rest and patiently learn to receive the self that you have forsaken for the race of days. At first, your thinking will darken and sadness take over like listless weather. The flow of unwept tears will frighten you. You have traveled too fast over false ground. Now your soul has come to take you back. Take refuge in your senses. Open up to all the small miracles that you rush through. Become inclined to watch the way of rain when it falls slow and free. Imitate the habit of twilight, taking time to open the well of color that fostered the brightness of day. Draw alongside the silence of stone until its calmness can claim you. Be excessively gentle with yourself. Stay clear. Of those vexed in spirit. Learn to linger around someone of ease who feels that they have all the time in the world. And gradually, you will return to yourself, having learned a new respect for your heart and the joy that dwells far within slow time. We're called to love our neighbors preach the gospel, to fight injustice, to plant churches, to pray like crazy, to do a good job at work with integrity, to forgive our enemies, to be good mothers and fathers, husbands and wives. So much stuff on us, rightly so. But to do all the stuff we must be Those who know our value as sons and daughters, children of God, loved by Him. Not just five cow women, but those who are worth Jesus Christ Himself. Walk tall. Be strong. Look in the mirror. Grow in confidence. Learn to become your own best friend.